the new Patriot Manifesto is not just a rehashing of 20 million different books you've probably read before about why liberty matters. The New Patriot Manifesto is exactly the title. It's a new manifesto for the next generation of patriots. How should we look at cybersecurity, the surveillance state? Is the gig economy growing? What about self-defense, free speech, things that matter all the time, but they're aimed more towards the next generation of liberty leaders and people that want to take on the challenges of tomorrow. The New Patriot Manifesto comes out November 24th and is written by Eli Bowman. You can go ahead and find it on Facebook to get ready, and you can check out your own copy on Amazon. That's the New Patriot Manifesto by Eli Bowman. This is Live Free and Grow, a podcast from the Remzo Republic with your host, Jason Carrier. Libertarian Homesteading Podcast. I'm Jason Carey, your host. Today, we're going to be joined by Stacy from the So Edible Podcast. And before I introduce that, let me ask and answer the question a lot of the audience is asking. Why do we need a Libertarian Homesteading Podcast? A few years ago, my wife and I decided to move to the farm. And I needed to learn certain skills, cooking, ranching, you know, growing my own food, taking care of myself, self-sustainability. And I noticed that I was never taught that stuff in school. So I started listening to podcasts, going on the web, reading books, and I noticed a massive libertarian strain throughout the entire homesteading movement. That is why I'm trying to join these two groups. You're, you're libertarian in the city, you're libertarian homesteaders who are actually living a free lifestyle. And with that, I'd like to introduce my guest, Stacy from the So Edible Podcast. Hey, hey how's it going? I'm good, man. Yourself? I'm doing great. Doing great. We're... Uh... I'm sitting here looking at my uh, my control panel for our solar panels, and we're pulling in about 3,000 watts right now, so I'm happy. That's nice. So, Stacey, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself and your guys' journey? Yeah, well, first of all, um, I'm a father. Uh, we've got uh, we got my wife and I have three kids um, that we my wife homeschools. Um, I have a background in in finance, and I've been a commercial real estate professional for uh, 15 years or so, and uh, you know about man, probably about. 2003, my wife and I started talking about, you know, the organic movement and started getting into, into that and realized that we one day wanted to have our own farm and our own own uh, site to do our, you know, grow our own vegetables. And, and at, at that time, it was kind of it was kind of a very vague dream. We didn't we, we didn't really sure we weren't really sure what it, we wanted it to be eventually. But uh, but we had this kind of ideal. And along the way, you know, we started saving money for that. And, and, you know, we're big savers. I know some people go out there and they're 22 and they go out there and buy the farm, leverage it up and just go for it. And I completely admire that. Um, but I'm a very conservative, you know, saver and planner. And so we started planning and saving. My wife has got a, uh, a master's degree in, in education. And so she was a teacher and I'm in the business field. And, and so, um, once we start, once we started having kids, she started staying at home and, and homeschooling her kids, uh, which makes it really convenient considering she's got a master's degree in, in young childhood education. Um, and she's, a, yeah, and she, and she's a phenomenal teacher. I mean, she, and the school she taught at, she actually taught the special ed children. Um, and 
her scores for her and, and the standardized testing for her special ed children oftentimes um, were higher than the general population in the school, um, which impressive. which which just shows to show you, um, you know, a lot of kids that are labeled special ed. You know, for you parents out that are dealing with kids that are labeled ADHD or whatever it might be, you know, a lot of times your kids are gifted and, and they're above average intelligence and are just bored and start acting up in school and they get they get pushed into the special ed, ed uh, pile. Anyway, let, I don't want to get off on that. But uh, but yeah, so we finally got our chance about three or four years ago to, to, to buy a farm. And this piece of property that we're on now came up. I had previously missed a couple opportunities and, and just kind of the way real estate works. And I saw this one kind of come up and I, and I knew it was the, the, the place to get at the time I was working a full-time job for somebody else. And so I couldn't, we couldn't make it there on our own, you know, right away. Uh, but my parents were about to retire and they wanted to retire on a farm somewhere. They also shared that dream. So I bought the property uh, about four years ago for them to retire on. And it just so happened that uh, about a year after that, I was able to um, start my own business and then I could work from wherever I wanted to. And so I also started building the house uh, on the farm myself. So I actually got done before they did, uh, which was not the original plan. Um, and so we, long story short, we are off grid. We have about 100 acres. Uh, we grow uh, uh, all our own food. We grow food for all our, just about all our neighbors. We also feed in some capacity uh, with meat and vegetables year round. Um, we also um, we also uh, have pigs, chickens. Uh, we've had ducks in the past. We've probably ha- you know we we actually have probably had over probably 50 to 75 pigs birthed on this property, uh, all forced raised. No GMOs, um, you know, all sustainable. Um, we we our, our house is completely off grid. We're powered by about 5,000 watts of solar panels, and uh, we have a passive solar house that enables us to use just about no energy. And uh, and in the humid southeast, we're in North Carolina, uh, we can now actually live off grid on very few uh, watts of solar panels, which everybody else told me was impossible. Yeah, no, I know. We had brought the solar guys out to our farm and said, and they were like, well, for $40,000, we can go ahead and hook you guys up. And I said, for $40,000, I'll just keep the wire. So, <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, you know, that's that's something we're working on because we have a lot of people, um, I, you know, I uh, being in commercial real estate, I've been around uh, and we've built a previous house. We had a cabin house in Georgia uh, that we built uh, while we were living in, in Georgia and uh, and we we had we sold that, but so we had previous experience with, and we built that with our own two hands. Um, and we so we had previous experience with building houses. Um, and so this was kind of like the final grand design that we we probably worked on for a couple of years of designing. But we always had people come to us that live in the southeast, and they're they're told the same thing. Oh, well, you need you know twenty thousand watts of solar panels and this huge battery bank to be able to get off grid. And it's just not true if you if you appropriately design the house. Um, to be to be lived in, and you know, not some monstrosity, uh, then you can easily do it. And so we're we're also working on a. Um, uh, it'll eventually probably be a Kickstarter where we're gonna lay out our house design, how we grow our own food, show people. We also have a sawmill, show people how to run that, show them about tractors, and it'll be kind of a complete uh, homestead overview of you know how we live our life and and show other people how to do it too outstanding 
So Stacy, you said your wife has a master's degree in education. I'm curious as to what drove you to, uh, to homeschool and for her to give up her teaching kids. Is, is, it, is it just the love of your children or is it more you didn't want them to be forced into a eight-hour day, sit behind a desk and shut up in color? Well, we're fortunate enough and, and blessed enough to be able to afford to to do that for one. And, and we would uh, we would homeschool whether regardless of what she got paid. Um, I mean, she, if she was a rocket scientist and was pulling in a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, she would still um, be homeschooling our children. Um, now, when we lived in Atlanta, um, you know, teachers in Atlanta with a couple years of experience will, will pull in about. Uh, fifty-five to sixty thousand dollars a year, and this was ten years ago when we were living there, uh, and that's that's a pretty good income considering that you're off for the summer times. Yeah, um, so. yeah, so that's that's a pretty good gig. But then you go to somewhere like North Carolina or South Carolina, and a teacher with a master's degree is making you know low thirties, um, and then after you after you calculate in. Uh, you know, daycare and all the other expenses with having a child not in the home, uh, you're, you're really better off just keeping the child at home. Um, now, w- I, I completely understand that there's a lot of, um, unfortunately, in today's society, you know, the, the, the man can no longer go out and work and, and in most cases support the family. And, you know, a lot of times you need both people to work. I completely understand that and, and I'm sympathetic to it. Um, I, you know, this is just the way we do it. And, you know, there's some there's some families where uh, the wife doesn't want to stay home. You know, she, she it would drive her crazy if she was home with the kids all the time. And we've we, you know, we know people like that. And, and that's perfectly fine. Um, we just we do what we do. And this is how we chose to do it. Um, and we think it's a it's it's a better uh, teaching system for the children. They get one on one, you know, learning with a with a teacher that's a master at her craft. And it's just I, I couldn't think of doing it any other way. No, I, I agree with you. I think it's one of the biggest regrets in our and my wife and I life is we didn't homeschool the kids. But I also think there's so many opportunities to teach a child about what is real on the farm than vice in a, a school setting. Now, you know, the prime example when they when the kids were young, they sent them home with the life cycle and the seed and all that. Wouldn't it be better if the kids went outside and planted a garden and went through the whole life cycle and you know I've done a lot of research in this area, and a you know, hundred years ago, it was not uncommon for schools to grow their own food and then cook it and prepare it, and then that's you know all those are valuable life skills that they that they need to have. We don't do that anymore, right? So well, that's that. Go ahead. Man. Yeah, that, that yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, you not only that, but a hundred years ago, when it was harvest time for corn or whatever it might be, guess what? School's out. You know, I mean. You know, they get out and all the kids go out and work in the field. I mean, that's why people had 10, 12, 15 kids is because when it came to harvest time, that was your labor, you know, and that hard work is what drove, you know, the greatest generation to be the greatest generation because they learned the work ethic. They're on the farm now. You know, I'm not a proponent of of child labor or anything. And uh, my kids, you know, if they want to work in the garden, they can work in the garden. If they don't, you know, they don't have to. But often more often than not. You know, they see how their their daddy and their mommy works, and they want to do the same thing. They they come out there begging to help in the garden, um, and I think the best way to do it is just lead by example and and show. You know, a lot of it, ninety percent of its of life in general is this work ethic. You know, whether you're talking about school or um, the job force, you know, and that's on a farm. That to me, that's the most important thing that a child learns, and and that's you know what you need to instill in them. 
Outstanding. So now you, you guys, you know, you talk about a lot about heritage breeds and GMOs and, and things like that. So did you, uh, did you start growing your own food for health reasons or is it just, yeah. What was the driver behind that? Well, there's no doubt that when you, when you grow their own, it's, it's a lot of reasons. When you grow their, your own food, when you, when you pick a piece of lettuce and 10 minutes later it's in a salad and you eat it, there's a higher nutritional value. There's, there's just no, I mean, that's just science. There's no question about that. So that's, that's a big part of it. The other thing is, you know, I want to know what's in my food. You know, there's a lot of even organic uh, vegetables that, you know, for um, for purposes of keeping them fresh are sprayed with certain things to to keep them fresh in the grocery store that people aren't even aware of. Um, and there's also uh, organic vegetables that even though they're organic are not grown in a very sustainable way and are uh, polluting the environment either through, um, you know, manure runoffs or other um, other situations. Um, so we wanted to do things, you know, our way. And, and a lot of it, like, for instance, we grow organic apples. And, uh, you know, you hear in the southeast that everybody says, oh, well, you can't grow organic apples. You have to spray them. Well, um, you know, I'm big on looking at nature and and seeing what nature does and, and then kind of mimicking that and, and looking for truth within nature and creation. And, you know, you drive down the road in the country and there's apple tree after apple tree on the side of the road that's not being tended to, that hasn't been sprayed with anything for years and years and years. And it's just loaded every year. So, you know, nobody told that apple tree. It forgot to read the book that said it can't grow without pesticides or herbicides or, or fertilizer or anything like that. Uh, if, if you buy the right varieties and you have um, the right rootstocks and the right uh, plants for your soil, they will grow. You know, we don't use any... We don't use any pesticides uh, or herbicides uh, on our garden. You know, we, we grow everything uh, naturally. You know, there's no chemicals of any sort whatsoever. Um, and we have a bountiful garden. I mean, we have so much food that, you know, some of it has to go to the chickens because our neighbors are just like, okay, we're, we're full. We can't take anymore, you know. Now, I know you guys have 100 acres, but I don't think you farm all 100 acres, right, to support yourself. Um, at least from your podcast, I get the impression that, you know, your bountiful garden that you guys are doing is not that big. It, you know, I think you, you do a lot of dense planting, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like, you know, your, your food forest or your back-to-eating garden is producing a lot in a little bit of space. Yes, you're right. So, so most of our property is, is wooded. Um, for those of you looking for property out there, you know, some of the best deals out there for buying property are, is going to be wooded property. Um, tillable acreage is sold based on the revenue possibilities of that tillable acreage. And it's usually, you know, maybe double or triple what, uh, um, land that just has trees on it is. So when we bought the property, it was all wooded. We had to clear some land to have some, some, uh, some space to plant what we wanted to grow. So we probably have, if I were to break it down for you just roughly, um, probably about 10 acres is open for um, tree plantings. And then uh, we have our garden itself is maybe um, an eighth to a quarter of an acre. So all that I'm talking about the week, because our, our trees we planted you know, three and four years ago are not in production yet. They're producing a few apples here and there, but they're not by any means producing anything in bulk. Um, so... Uh, you know, we have apples, plums, uh, we have pears, uh, peaches, uh, we have nut trees. I mean, just, it runs the gamut. And then, you know, in five years we'll be, we'll be, 
getting bumper crops of those. But right now we're basically living off our garden while we wait for those things to get to production age. So when I talk about we're feeding ourselves and all our neighbors, I'm talking that's off of an eighth to a quarter of an acre of our garden. And on top of that, a lot of my garden is, you know, we, we also part of what we do is we trial plants. We're, we're kind of a research facility also. And that comes into what I told you about earlier. That's part of the knowledge that we then share with the rest of the world is, okay, we, you know, I spent thousands of dollars killing plants to find this one plant that just grows like crazy in this environment. And I can just, I can give that to you and, and now you can run with it, you know, so. Yeah, so it's important to point out that you are feeding a family of what, seven on a quarter of an acre garden. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's less than the size of most homes in the suburbs. So, I mean, that's, that's impressive. And you're, I mean, you're not just feeding your family with, you know, fruits and vegetables, you're feeding the chickens, you're feeding the neighbors. So, and, and I really like the fact that you pointed out how many, you know, plants you've killed. Most of my friends, are, you know, they come to see our garden, they're like, oh, I, I got a black thumb or this is going to die. And every, I tried to plant a tomato once and it, you know, it died two days later and laughed. And I was like, you know, what? they're going to die. You know, that's how you learn. That's how you build. And that's how you grow. And it's, it's, it's funny to me is how many people and myself included my very first garden. I, you know, when I, we moved out to the suburbs, I was a typical dad out there cutting the grass, planting some tomatoes and everything died. And I was like, well, screw it. I'll just go to the store. And it wasn't until I was like, you know what, I can do this. And I really started to focus and learn how, to, you know, learn and accept that a lot of the crops are going to die at first. Cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, that last year, I think we produced about 20% of our food this year, we'll produce about 40 and I planted, you know, I, I did the same. I planted my apples, my pears and whatnot, and I'm just, I'm waiting, but everybody's like, Oh, it'd be five years before you get it. You know what? But in five years I'll have fruit. <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, you know, I can't tell you how many, cause we have a nursery also. I can't tell you how many people come to us and say, Oh, you know, I really, really love to plant an apple tree. And they say that every year and then they're 90 years old and, you know, they still wish they would have planted it. Well, you know, the best pl- the, the best time to plant an apple tree was 20 years ago. Yep. You know, the, the second best time is right now. So get out there and just do it and just get it done. I mean, they're not, they're not expensive. The most expensive apple tree you could probably find is $30. You know, grab it, put it in the ground. Um, and people that are looking to do this kind of stuff, you know, they can come to us and we do consulting. And I can I can save you a world of money and time and say, do this, this, this and this. You'll hit the ground running. You don't have to do any trial and error. You'll be successful. And, you know, you can, or somebody can come to our place and take a, take a day course. And, you know, in one day, I, I can just lay it out what plants to grow, what exact uh, varieties. And they're going to be just hitting the ground running and having an amazing garden the first year. I mean, it's, it's, and a quarter acre, on a quarter acre, it is easy, easy to grow all the food a family needs. If you know how to preserve the food right um, for the wintertime, because, you know, we, we get to negative five degrees here, um, so we get pretty cold. Um, so even when we have really cold snaps, even some of the most hearty vegetables, unless you cover them, are going are gonna to be toast in the middle of the winter. Uh, but if you know how to preserve things right, um, you can easily, um, and know the right things to grow, you can, you can eat all year off your own produce on a quarter acre, no problem. Yeah, that's one of the things that just blows my mind is, you know, 70 years ago, 40% of vegetables are grown at home. Now nobody does this. And then, you know, people don't have root cellars. They don't preserve. And, you know, there's that Ronald Reagan quote that says, 
we should measure welfare by how fast people get off it, not how many people are on it. And we don't seem to be teaching people how to do that, how to grow their own food, how to preserve, how to cook. And it's, it's very frustrating because our entire lives today are so convenient that people, you know, my wife has gone to the store and everything she bought came in a box at one time. So it's, it's, we're not, we're not taking care of ourselves. And no, I think, no. I think people like you are leading the way in that. Yeah, no. And it's a vicious cycle because, you know, speaking of welfare, um, you know, these, I mean, I don't want to get into that. That's a whole nother conversation, but you know, in short, you know, these people get in a situation where I think, I think right now, this kind of sums it up. I think right now, in order to make the equivalent income, as far as the benefits, you know, insurance and everything that's paid for when you're on government assistance, you have to make like $50,000 a year as a family. Um, and that's a big step between being on welfare and making $50,000 a year. So the system, I mean, the system's designed to trap people. I mean, that's, that's what it's doing. It's, it's trapping people in the system. Um, and you know, anybody, I I agree. I always say it's a safe, you know, they call it a safety net, but it's not, it's a net is a trap. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, and I think, you know, the more we can educate people and show how they can grow when small spaces preserve and cook, um, the better off they'll be. And, and I got my kids to start gardening with a simple thing. I said, look, growing your own food is the closest the government's going to allow you to printing your own money. And they're like, oh, yes. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know, every every dollar you make, um, you know, basically half of it goes to real estate taxes and, and, and uh, income taxes. Um, and so... Um, you know, that that's exactly true. So if you're making your own food, you don't have to go buy that. You know, that basically that $5, $5 of tomatoes you're growing is really worth 10, you know? Um, and there's, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that, that is, that is something, you know, there's some countries, I mean, people in the United States are a little spoiled. They don't realize there's some countries where the government tells you, and, and these aren't, I'm not talking about like Russia where people, people have a view of this draconian, you know, overseers, you know, or China where Americans have this really negative view. I mean, there's some countries that are democratic countries that tell you what to grow and what you can't grow. You know, you're, you're going to grow, you know, you can't grow beets and you can't grow, you know, there's allotments for various vegetables and pretty, uh, first world, um, countries that people would be very surprised with. I, I think some of that's true in America. You know, that, you know, the government can regulate, you know, your crops, they can tell you what you can eat, what you can't eat. Uh, hell in Maryland, they tax you when it rains. So, and then I know some states won't let you collect rainwater. So. Yes, yes, and that's that's scary. Thankfully, we get so much rain in North Carolina, and nobody's gotten around to uh, thinking about that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there's a couple of th- sad things when it comes to that. You know, for instance, in North Carolina, um, we cannot buy uh, raw milk. Like I, I can't, I can't go to, now. I can drink my own raw milk from my own goat or my own cow, but I can't go to the store or go to a friend and buy raw milk. Um, and it's just completely insane that the government's involved. Now I can go buy a, um, a prescription drug or I can go buy some codeine and go just go to the doctor and say, Hey, I had my, I have a pain. I need some codeine and you'll, and you'll have it, you know, but I can't go buy raw milk. It's, it's just completely insane. The other thing is, is that, um, you know, you're, we're, we're allowed to butcher our own chickens up to a certain number um, but I can't butcher a, a pig and sell to somebody. So we grow probably the best tasting, um, you know, forced raised pigs that you've ever tasted in your life. 
but I can't sell it to you because I butchered it. That's crazy. No, it's, it's very frustrating. That, you know, those regulations, especially, you know, where I live in Mennonite country and they, everybody drinks, you know, their own raw milk and you can't go to the farm and buy it. Um, you, they can't advertise. I've actually seen raids by the FDA and SWAT teams taking down Amish farmers. That's, that's not America to me. And, you know, it's, and the raw milk thing really kind of pisses me off because you can go to Europe and buy, you know, buy it from a vending machine in an unrefrigerated truck. That's so, right. That's right. And you know that the, here's here's sorry here here here's one thing that um I, a couple of things I'd like to get out you know one thing is is that people need to stop realizing that it's not a Republican or a Democrat thing you know things have been getting bad for a long time they they haven't gotten gotten better and they just get bad in different ways depending on who's in office and once people need to start looking at the issues and focus focusing on solutions. And stop playing this, you know, Democrat bad, Republican good, or vice versa. It's just a trap. It's it's a the two party system is a trap that people get stuck in, and we're fighting each other instead of coming together and searching for solutions. If you get if you get two, um, you know, the community I live in is largely African American, and all my neighbors are African American, and we get along great. And if we sit down and talk, we generally you know, agree on everything. I mean, there's nothing that we disagree on, you know, social issues or, or whatever. Um, not that the government should be involved in social issues. But, you know, that being said, um, if, if we were to be divided up into parties, we'd probably be very different. But um, if we were to come together and attack the government, um, you know, and tell them, say, hey, you know, th- this is what we want together – um, we would get a lot more done. Instead, we're we're stuck in this this two party paradigm. Yep. So, you know, well, it brings me. You know, are you libertarian, or are you start leaning that way? Because it sounds to me like you're about ready to jump off the two party train. Oh, I've been off the two party train for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, my my parents never talked about politics when I was growing up. Um, the only thing I ever heard about politics is I was going through high school when Clinton. Uh, was um, downsizing the um, the shipyards, and my my father worked at the shipyard at the time, so I heard about that. But even then, as awful as that was, I mean, we we were, every day we were wondering whether or not my dad was going to have a job or not. Um, even as awful as that was, he still didn't talk bad about him, or didn't I didn't hear you know all these awful things. Um, so well, the uh, vitriol is at an all time high, I do believe. Yeah, you know, I think again, I think a lot of that type. There's a there's a very few that are very um, on both sides that are screaming their lungs out. And now with all the social media, you know, you hear about it more. I don't think from the normal folk, it's any more than it what or reasonable people. It's any more than it ever has been, but you know, it's, uh, and, and I don't, I, I wouldn't say I jump from, I, I wouldn't jump from, li- you know, the two party system to libertarian because the problem with labels is no matter what it is, is that you always have, you always have somebody crazy that labels themselves as that, that, that then, I mean, you got, I'm sure you got libertarians that you look at and just shake your head and go, Oh, come on, man. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're making it bad for all of us. You know, yeah. Tim McVeigh was a card carrier libertarian. So yes, I understand. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, and it's the same thing in permaculture, you know, and, um, you know, we, we, we talk about practicing permaculture and that's one of the techniques we use or systems we use to do what we do. And, um, you know, but there's people out there that say they do permaculture and they're just doing crazy stuff. Um, and it just, it makes everybody look bad. So 
even even using that label um, or the party labels, I'm very weary of. I, I like I said, I like to focus on the issues. I like to focus on getting getting the government out of our lives, and uh, and that's just that's the main thing I'm focusing on. So yeah, now there's a whole I'll say liberty movement that's not part of the Libertarian Party because there, there's a lot of people who have problems with the Libertarian Party, and I agree, a lot of people have problems with the labels, but we you know we attack each other left, right, and center. Um, it was funny is I, I spent 10 years in the Marine Corps and I was on the unofficial libertarian, you know, Facebook page and someone goes, well, you're just a welfare queen. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, well, you took money from the government. So you're a welfare queen. And I was like, okay, well, I don't feel, I kind of felt like I earned it, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, it, yeah, we're all over the place on the spectrum and you know, you have, uh, you have your, your, your social libertarians who you know want to you know want to legalize their drugs and want to stop the policing for profit and civil asset forfeiture, and then you have your economic libertarians who are like, nope, roads should be private. You know we don't you know, we you know we need very little government to do most of things, and we can settle most things with private contracts. And I'm more on that side. I you know, I, I you know I do think drugs should be legal and some of the other things, but it's mainly because I, I think the war on drugs has become a way to lock up poor people. Yeah, yeah. The the I mean, I've never, um, I've never. I was an athlete in high school and college, and you know, I I didn't, I've never even touched my lips to a cigarette, much less um, you know marijuana. But at the same time, I look at it and go, you know, and I, even if it was legal, I wouldn't do it. But I mean, I look at it and go, this is the most ridiculous thing in the world to have a plant be the reason why some people I mean, some people in California with the three strike. I think I think it's called the three strike rule. Mm-hmm. They're they're in prison for life. Yep. For for a plant. I mean, it's, it's the most insane. Again, I've never done it in my life. I mean, I don't plan to, but, um, you know, it's just the most insane thing in the world that as a country with all the um, people we have incarcerated that, you know, most of them are, you know, drug violations and just, you know, silly yeah. things that, um, is just ridiculous. Yeah. Nonviolent drug offenders make up the majority of the prison. And it, it, it's, it's insane. I agree with you. I, like I said, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17. I've been peeing in a cup ever since. Because my job requires a clearance, so yeah. But the idea that it's illegal blows my mind. So. Yeah, it, it's it's completely insane, and that's coming around. I think just recently in North Carolina, um, because of the the amazing some of the amazing uh, studies that are being done on uh, I think it's the hemp oil. Um, it, it's it's they're finding it does do some pretty amazing things, and because of that. I think it just got um, a bill just got passed in North Carolina that made it the, the oil legal um, without the actual THC in it. Um, so, I mean, that's that that's a big plus. I mean, if people need it medicinally, um, I, I mean, I think people should be able to do what they want with it. Uh, but uh, if, if people need it medicinally, it's just criminal to, to keep it, keep it from them. You know, so Stacy, I wanted to go ahead and change topics and discuss your home building experience. I know you mentioned before we started recording that you had had to deal with some burdensome regulations, which are causing you some issues. Can you go ahead and elaborate? Yeah, there's a couple of things that are just just baffling when you go through the the home building process. I, as I mentioned, we've got our own sawmill, and we've got an endless amount of of trees on our property for timber. And uh, and so when we were building our house, I thought you know I I would saw all my own two by fours and make them out of oak and just have the strongest house in the world. And, uh, and so I went to my local county just to make sure there wasn't any issues with that. And there was, I mean, in order for me to build, you know, I, I'm not sure if people are aware, but most houses are built out of pine 
And oak is is probably I don't know the exact numbers, but it's about twice as strong as pine. And so, you know, my local county told me, well, in order for you to use your own wood, even though it's oak and even though we know oak is much stronger than pine, you would have to get each piece of wood certified by the by a government uh, certified um, uh, company. And we would have to check each piece of wood to make sure that it was it was legal for you to use that wood on your house. Are you kidding me? Uh, and it's just like, I'm like, hold on a second. It's, this is Oak. Um, you want, I can build, build with pine from the big box store. No problem. But you would want to certify the Oak. So, um, another thing is, is, uh, it, the, the windows. Now this is a little technical, but hopefully I'm trying to break it down pretty easily. So windows are, have a couple ratings. Um, and one rating is how insulative they are, so so how much um, heat transfer or cold transfer there is through the window. And there's another rating that is how much light heat gets through the window. So how much light does it let in? Of course, light, sun getting in your house will heat your house up. Well, with a passive solar house, you want a lot of light to get in because the way it's designed most of the year in the summertime, the overhang is designed such there is no direct sun even coming in the house. So it doesn't matter if the window is rated to let sun in or not because, you know, it, there's no sun coming in. So, but in the wintertime, when, when the, the sun gets lower in the sky and is shining directly in your house, you want to have a rating that's very low for sun resistance because you want all that sun to come in and heat up your house. So the best window we could find for that purpose and still be a legal window because these manufacturers are – beholden to the government guidelines they can't make a window that goes against the government guidelines for these windows at least you're you know if you're if you're building this inspector's paying attention then he, he can decline your your he, he can decline your house for for the inspection um so the best we could find is about a 50 percent sun penetration um for the window so our house would be even more efficient than it is if we were, could legally buy a window that was built for our house um, but instead they use the same laws in, uh, North Carolina that they use in Florida, that they use in Michigan, even though, you know, in most countries, you know, I mean, you know, there, we, a lot of countries that have these regulations that we that we copy, you know, that their, their whole country is the size of Virginia, yeah. you know, and, but we're using the same regulations for Florida and Michigan. It, it's just, it's really silly. And I'm, I'm working on that, um, you know, we've got some connections that have some some government uh, ears and and we're and because, you know, it's just it's so silly that I can't imagine they they wouldn't they wouldn't. Want. I mean, that's something that there's not like there's a group that that's the anti window group. It's just that's just a matter of bureaucracy. And I don't think anybody would have a, a resistance to kind of making some common sense changes to that. You would think so, but I, you know, my gas cans worked great in the 70s and now I got these EPA rated gas cans and they spill gas everywhere. You know, or well, now there, yeah, I mean, there, there is a, there is a technical reason for that, yeah. um, that, that people, now I agree. I cannot stand those new gas cans. And I was about to well, say, if, if you're going to, if you're going to support the EPA gas cans, I think our friendship's coming to an end. No, no. <laughs> look, look, Hey, I mean, we, you know, we're a farm, we've got a tractor, we use diesel, we use gas. I mean, it's, um, you know, I haven't seen any electric tractors out there yet that are, that are worth anything. <laughs> So, 
Um, and we've got an old, you know, we've yep. got an old International Harvester 1960-something tractor, and it'll run circles around anything they build these days. Yep. No, I'm just, I'm joking, but, you know, um, those little spring things on it drive me bananas. And oh, they're, in, they're insane. Yeah, okay. Uh, but if there is a reason, and you know it, I'm happy to listen, man, because I, I, honestly, I think it, it must be some senator's wife who owns the company. Oh, no, 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 no. The reason is spilling. Because the old gas can, you spill it, you, you tip it over, and just everything pours out. Oh, so it's, so, so it's to prevent it in, in the event that it falls over. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, that and it also the, – now, the, the problem with those things is they also trap gases. There's um, – you know, when you get a hot day and you get a gas can in the sun, um, you can actually blow up on those gas cans with the, with the new um, devices on them. Um, so – uh, it's actually, to me, it's more dangerous. I mean, uh, people are usually pretty care- careful spilling gas cans, but, uh, a lot of people leave them out in the sun. They expand, they contract, they crack. Um, but, uh, I wouldn't say I do this, but I know people that, uh, that will go get a old spout and put on a new gas can. What? And, uh, yeah, I've heard, I, I've heard of it happening and I've heard that their life is a lot easier when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's- it's funny is I see so many things that used to work that don't, uh, and even even you know you because you know we're going down this road because you mentioned the stupid you know there's no pro window group and people are just regulating to regulate, but uh, I saw Rand Paul had a rant one time on the on the toilet you know the the reservoir that's allowed in the toilet, he goes I got to flush the thing like six times, <laughs> I'm not saving any water. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now they've got man, I wish I knew the 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 type of uh, toilet that we have, but. I mean, this thing, I mean, it, 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 they actually have come up with designs now that are extremely like they're good toilets and they, and they are pretty efficient too, but I, I know what you mean. I definitely know what you mean. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to talk about? I mean, uh, I know we covered a lot. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited. I didn't know you guys were offering a day long class out there on your farm because I am. You know, and I'll say this as a fan of your podcast and I've learned so much, you know, I was able to build a hoogle bed from you guys um, and, and just last night I went and emptied my Japanese beetle traps and fed them to my chickens. And cause I heard you just like, Hey, it's free protein. And I was like, well, no crap. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, the, the, we have a couple things in the works. I mean, the, the class is something we're going to announce pretty soon. So by the time you get this podcast out, we should have announced that. Um, we also have, like I said, we're working on some projects to get kind of, kind of our, our research that we've done to compile that and then get it out to people in DVD form. Um, we're working on that also, and, and that should be ready kind of August ish time for us to announce that. Um, but no, I mean, I just, just let people know, um, that, you know, focus on the solutions. Um, don't get bogged down in all this, this hate and these people and that, that are just going back and forth and, and, um, and not getting anything done. You know, I don't have, I don't have time for that. I don't have, you know, I've got three kids. I got a wife to support. Um, I've got a farm, and uh, and you know, I, I mean, I, we're just working every day and getting things done, and and uh, and trying to make this this place a better place. Because nobody, whether you're an environmentalist or whether you're the 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 farthest right, you know, wing person that that's big oil as you can get, everybody agrees. Like we we should try not to pollute the water and our well water. Like I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Um, it's just a matter of how we get there. You know, do you get there by these draconian, um, you know, government regulations or you get there by saying, okay, uh, let's sit down at the table and come up with some solutions. 
Um, I mean, I can take anybody to my garden and show you how to support yourself on a quarter of an acre and uh, you don't need any chemicals. Like, you know, not only is that great because you're not polluting the groundwater, but it's also great because you don't have to buy chemicals. You know, now not, I know the chemical companies hate that, um, but it's it's just a fact. I mean, I can show you how to do it and it's 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 not hard. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, getting back to the things that our grandfathers and forefathers used to know and used to do and used to be second nature to them. And we just need to get back to that. No, couldn't agree more. Hey, before we go, do you want to, uh, you want to sh- share your dot coms, let people know how to get in touch with you? Yeah, we're, we're so edible.com. Um, you can email us at, uh, so edible S O W like the plant. So at, um, gmail.com and, uh, you know, just shoot us an email, give some time. We get a lot of emails. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you sh- reach out to us on that, you should, you should have no problem getting in touch with us. We also have a Facebook page. It's the same thing. So edible. And we're on Instagram as so edible. And I, I've started to pick up, I'm pretty active on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And usually the posts I post on there correlate to the podcast. So, um, you know, you guys should be able to follow us there with no problem. And yeah, don't forget to follow the podcast. So. Yeah, yeah. Check out the podcast on iTunes. Um, I'm amazed, amazed that um, we started this off as just kind of a little thing my wife and I were doing, and and I don't even I don't even go back and listen to the first podcast. It's probably so bad. Um, but uh, you know, I, I would people that listen to it, I would recommend starting from day one because it is a journey that you kind of go through when you listen to the podcast. Start from day one and kind of walk through because we, we, we bring you along every step of the way of what we're doing with building the house. And, uh, and I think you'll learn a lot. And when you get caught up to current time, then shoot us with additional questions that you have and we'd be happy to answer them. Okay. All right, Stacy, I appreciate your time. Bye brother. Thanks. Well, there you have it folks. That wraps up our interview with Stacy of the so edible podcast. I have learned so much from listening to Stacy and his wife, Amy, over the years and how they've moved their farm along, I highly encourage anyone who's interested in self-sustainability, tree farming, permaculture, or living off-grid to check out their site. It's one thing to advocate for liberty. It's another to actually go out and do it. Feel free to tune in and follow their journey as they go along. Until next time, I'm Jason Carrier. Live free and grow. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting RemsoRepublic.com.